Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at pastorwood.org. And now, here's your host, Jim Wood. Folks, we're talking about embracing God's will. And it's part of our series on the life of prayer. And we were talking about, is it ever wrong to pray? And we talked about several situations where prayer is not the appropriate thing. The first is when God is telling you to go and seek reconciliation with someone else first, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So prayer is not what you're supposed to do when God's already told you to go and seek reconciliation. You do what God says. Uh, We talked about performance prayers in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Jesus says that those sorts of prayers are an offense to God, and we're not to be praying for show. Uh, Also in Luke 18, 9 through 14, self-righteous prayers, uh, praying like the Pharisee who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But Jesus says, really, he was just talking about himself. When our prayers are self-righteous, they're an offense to God. This morning, we begin with Psalm 66, 18, which says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It is wrong to pray when we are clinging to sin. If we want our prayers to be heard, we need to pray with an attitude of repentance. We must be ready to be changed. Chuck Swindoll tells a story that sounds true. He explained that the IRS had received an envelope, and inside was a typed, unsigned note which read, quote, Several years ago, I underreported my income and avoided some of the taxes that I owed to the government. My conscience has really been bothering me lately, and so I'm enclosing $1,000. If my conscience continues to trouble me, I will send the rest. (laughs) This is the human condition. We feel guilty, so we confess. But often our confession leads to partial repentance. We don't want to change completely. We value comfort more than holiness. We just repent a little bit until we feel better. To really forsake a pet sin, the one that so easily entangles us, is difficult. Why do you suppose that in the New Testament, God has to tell his people, little children, keep yourselves from idols? This is a problem we all face. All of us continually, even as believers, are drawn toward sin. We have a tendency to put other things in the place of God. When God shows us that this is wrong and that we need to repent, we want to repent partway. People tell me about uh, 
a person whose life has changed, and sometimes they'll say, it's really looking better. They've made a 360-degree turn. They're trying to change. Well, despite their lack of understanding about geometry, the person may be speaking more truth than they realize. A 360-degree turn means that I was headed in the wrong direction, and I saw I was going the wrong way, so I took a few turns. But in the end, I'm still going in the wrong way. And that's the way some of us repent. We come to church, and we come under conviction, and we cry out, God, have mercy on me. I need to change. We do a few spins and go out the door and keep living the way we did before. But the Bible says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We need to truly repent and forsake our sin. Prayer is never a substitute for repentance. And true repentance leads to lasting change. But finally, Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16, brings up another important example of when it's wrong to pray. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. It is wrong to pray when we are trying to use prayer as a substitute for obedience. Now, if I'd been there to hear Moses speak, I would have responded enthusiastically, uh, Amen! Preach it, brother! We need to stand firm. When we're between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, caught between a rock and a hard place, we need to stand firm. Hallelujah! Glory to God! My response makes for a great sermon, but uh, God was not impressed with Moses' plan. God said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Moses had to go back to the people and say, Change of plans, we're going forward. Now, going forward was a real challenge for these people. There was a sea in front of them. It couldn't be ignored. In order for the people to do what God commanded, it was going to take a miracle. Does God ever ask us to do something that we can't possibly do unless he intervenes on our behalf? For instance, be perfect even as I am perfect. See, the only way that we're going to be able to obey God is if God does a miracle. Well, this is what God wants to do in every single one of our lives. He wants to do a miracle. He wants to live his life through us so that we are, by his grace, enabled to be like Jesus. This is God's plan for his children. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, we're told, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God's desire for you is something so supernatural so glorious and so wonderful that you can't even imagine it. Do you believe God? You are more than forgiven. Forgiveness is just part of the package. God doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to transform you. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God's word is true. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants me to be like Jesus. This is going to take a miracle. But God stands ready to do it. One of the ways in which he does it 
is through prayer. But when God commands, we need to obey. Don't keep on praying and disobeying. Do what God says. John Chrysostom was considered one of the most eminent writers and preachers of the 4th century church. During this time when the church was experiencing horrible persecution, one of the other believers came to Chrysostom and said, I just want to be sure you understand why I must do this thing. I know it's wrong. Chrysostom said, what do you mean you must? The man said, well, if I don't, I will die. Chrysostom said, yes, so why must you do it? You see, Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body. Rather, fear him who, having destroyed the body, can cast the soul into hell. Fear God. This is the beginning of wisdom. When I first began to fall in love with my wife, I asked her what she planned to do after college. She told me that she was planning to go to the foreign mission field. I was very disappointed because I'd already asked the Lord whether or not I was supposed to serve on the foreign mission field, and I believed that he had told me that my ministry would be based in the U.S. I knew that I would be here, and if Susan was going to be over there, it would be difficult to develop a long-term relationship. So hoping that perhaps she wasn't certain of God's call, I asked, do you know where? When she named a specific place, I thought the relationship couldn't progress. But on a subsequent occasion, I asked, how long have you felt called to the foreign mission field? She said, I've never felt called to the foreign mission field. (laughs) I was surprised, and I questioned her further. But you even told me where you're going overseas when you finish college. She said, I am going. I said, why would you go if you don't feel called? She said, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So unless the Lord shows me otherwise, I'm going where the need seems greatest. Well, suddenly there was a glimmer of hope for me. She said she'd picked the place to serve because she felt that that was where the need was greatest at the time. She understood that she didn't need a special revelation from God in order to be of service. God says go, and she was going. She was ready to obey. So later I asked Susan, have you ever felt called by God to do something in particular with your life? She answered, oh yes, for several years I've felt that someday God wants me to have a home for children from difficult situations. I said, really? I can relate to that. In fact, you might enjoy reading the paper I wrote my freshman year in college about the home for children I believe God wants me to have someday. And she said, I'd like that. Maybe you'd like to read the paper I wrote my freshman year in college about the home I believe God wants me to have someday. Well, folks, it became clear that God had brought us together, and we married the following summer. God has a plan for your life and mine, but he blesses us as we learn to trust him and obey. Prayer is never a substitute for obedience. God warns that if we refuse to listen to his words, he will not listen to our prayers. Proverbs 28.9 says that such prayers are detestable. If someone came to me and asked if they could do something for me, I might ask them to get a glass of water for me. If they responded with enthusiasm but never went to get the water, (laughs) they'd be of no service to me. Yet this is often what we do with God. We beg him to show us what he desires. We speak of our love for him, but we don't do what he asks of us. God is calling us to draw close to him. I don't want to miss what God wants to do in my life. I don't want you to miss what he wants to do in your life. We need to learn to pray. 
We need to learn to listen to God as we pray. We need to do what God says. We need to remember that our prayers will be no good if our other relationships are broken. Our prayers will be no good if they're just for show. Our prayers will be no good if we're clinging to our own self-righteousness. Our prayers will be no good if we insist on holding on to a cherished sin in our lives. Our prayers will be no good if we continue to refuse to obey. Prayer is not a substitute for obedience. God is calling us to obedience. Will you obey him? Hi, this is Jim Wood. I'm very grateful for the privilege of teaching God's Word now for over 40 years. I've seen firsthand the power of the gospel changing lives for eternity. My wife and I have been blessed with seven children, four of them adopted. Each one is unique, but all of them are ours. In our travels to other countries, we've seen again and again that the human heart is the same everywhere. And everywhere we go, Jesus is the only one who can save. I hope that these broadcasts are an encouragement to you, and I want to ask you to take a few moments to encourage us. I want to ask you to do three things, in fact. First, please visit our website, pastorwood.org, and learn more about our work. Second, please pray for us that we will remain faithful and that God will continue to use us to spread his word around the world. And finally, if the Lord prompts you to do so, please support us financially. We are depending on our listeners to stand with us, and we're praying for God to bless you. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. This program is paid for by the generous donations of listeners like you. You can hear Pastor Wood's teachings 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at pastorwood.org. And when you visit pastorwood.org, we would greatly appreciate it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and, if possible, also make a donation to this ministry. So please visit pastorwood.org today or give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And is holding out his hand James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I want to talk with you about prayers for healing. I remember the first time I experienced supernatural healing from physical symptoms. I was 16 years old and regularly attending a home Bible study and praise service in Montreat, my hometown. I'd been skeptical about some of what I'd heard concerning these meetings, but out of curiosity, I went. And from the first meeting, I began to see remarkable answers to prayer as this small group of believers laid hold of God's throne. I knew that when we met together, God met with us. One week, I went to the meeting even though I was very ill with a strep infection. 
Despite having started on penicillin, I was still running a high fever, had an extremely sore throat, deep chest congestion, and painfully enlarged glands in my throat. Although I'd been staying in bed, I got up and I went to the meeting anyway. Following his usual format, our host, Adger McKay, asked if there were any prayer requests. He remained seated as he worked his way around the room praying for each request. When it was my turn, I told him I was sick and would appreciate prayer. I was startled as he jumped up from his chair, placed his hands on my head, and began to pray aloud for my healing. To my amazement, the moment his hands touched my head, I felt as if an electric charge was flowing through my body. This was the second time I had experienced this physical sensation. The first time I'd been alone on a mountainside hiking with my dog, singing praises to God. Well, the experience had given me an awesome awareness of the presence of God. And on this night, when Adger prayed, the sensation was the same. But the resulting healing was something completely new and astounding for me. I was instantly healed of all symptoms. My sore throat was gone. I no longer felt feverish. My glands were no longer swollen. My sinuses were clear. And there was no congestion in my bronchial tubes. It was the most dramatic physical healing I've ever experienced. God used that moment of prayer and healing to lift my sights. I wanted to know God better, experience his power, and be used the way this man was used. I would spend my teen years being mentored by this man of God who really knew how to pray. When I asked Adger after the meeting was over why he had jumped up to lay hands on me as he prayed, he responded simply, I only did that because God told me to. Several years later, during my first spring at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, I received word that my dear brother and mentor, Adger, had been on an overseas missions trip to Africa, and he'd returned with falciparum malaria, encephalitis, and blackwater fever. Thousands of people around the world, including many famous Christian leaders, prayed earnestly that Adger would be healed. I prayed fervently for his healing and was crushed when he slipped into a coma just before Good Friday. I vividly remember the phone calls from people who sensed that God was telling them that he would be healed on Easter Sunday. I said to my wife, Susan, I believe he will be healed, but I believe God is saying he will die and his healing will occur when he sees Jesus face to face. On Easter Sunday, Adrian McKay slipped quietly out of his hospital bed into the courts of heaven. In the midst of my sorrow and grief, I was extremely grateful to the Lord for the way he had timed my beloved friend's homegoing. While some who'd been praying and believing God for Adger's physical healing felt betrayed when he died, his family exhibited supernatural peace in the midst of their pain. A grieving widow and her three teenage children had to believe God had done what was best. He always does. The timing of Adger's homegoing on this Sunday when we celebrate Jesus' triumph over death could not have been more perfect. The following summer, I took a course at seminary with Joseph Bailey, a man who had lost three sons to death. After telling the class the heartbreaking stories of each of their deaths, he astonished all of us when he said, Losing three sons to death does not make me an expert on dying. If you want to talk to someone who understands death, you need to talk with someone who knows that he himself is a terminal case. It is with this qualification that I'm here to speak with you today. He then reminded us that none of us would get out of this life alive. 
Though he wasn't battling a terminal illness, as we had thought for a moment, he had made his point. My own mortality became clearer that day. My interactions with this dear man helped sharpen my perspective on God's purpose for my life and the need to live today with eternity in view. That same summer, Susan was expecting our first child. I felt an uneasy sense that God was preparing me for something painful concerning my unborn child. He was. My son Paul was born with spina bifida. Because spina bifida occurs within the first month of fetal development, Paul's condition existed before we even realized that Susan was pregnant. But none of this was a surprise to God, and we knew from the beginning that God had a plan for Paul's life. His plan is good, acceptable, and perfect. Many times, beginning when Paul was an infant, people have prayed for him, sometimes anointing him with oil. By the time Paul was 11, he'd had 20 surgeries. The surgeries never got any easier, and I've spent a great deal of time praying to God, please heal my son. As an 11-year-old boy, Paul was facing yet another surgery, and a woman at church wrote a note and handed it to Paul's mother, Susan. The note indicated that a man whose ministry often involved the healing of people in wheelchairs would be speaking at a nearby church that Sunday night. This lady who had written the note was a precious prayer warrior who was convinced that Paul should attend the healing service. Susan gave the note to Paul and asked if he would like to go, and Paul asked for some time to pray about it. With tears, Paul spoke to his mother late that afternoon and ministered to his whole family in a profound way. He explained that he was willing to go to the meeting, but he didn't believe God intended to heal him. He said, I'd love to be healed because I know you want me to be able to play soccer and basketball and everything. I know God does heal people sometimes, but I believe he wants me in a wheelchair for a reason. When people see me and ask why I'm so happy in spite of my circumstances, I can tell them it's because of Jesus. I don't want to disappoint you guys, but I want to do God's will. Paul went to the healing service with his whole family, but he was not disappointed when he didn't walk out afterwards. I still want God to heal Paul. I've made this abundantly clear to him over and over, but I can honestly say, that even more than I desire Paul's healing, I rejoice in the fact that Paul has learned to trust his Heavenly Father. And while it's hard for me to comprehend, Paul's Heavenly Father loves him and cares about him far more than I do. We can trust him. Folks, I don't know what sort of difficulties you're facing. I do know this. God can be trusted. I don't know if you're battling illness or if you have a loved one who's battling illness. But I would suspect one of the two is the case. We live in a world where the evidence of the fall is all around us. And when Jesus came, he inaugurated the new kingdom. In his kingdom, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's freedom and peace. But even people with healing ministries die because this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and aliens here. So should we pray for healing? Yes. We'll talk more about that in the days to come. But I want you to understand that physical healing is not the solution to all our problems. Lazarus was brought back to life 
by Jesus. But he's not running a restaurant in Jerusalem these days. Even when God heals, it is still appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. All of us are going to be subject to sickness and death in this life because God still uses death to get us out of this existence. But God has something so much more wonderful, so much better than we can imagine waiting for us on the other side of the threshold. And I want to encourage you to make very sure that you are prepared, that your affection is not set on the things of this life, but that your longing is to see your Redeemer face to face. Are you groaning because you want more of this world or because you long to go and be with your Heavenly Father? I don't know what challenges you are facing, but I do know that God is able to bless you in the midst of hardship, to heal your sicknesses, but even better, to call you one day into his presence, to stand before him, rejoicing, worshiping, forever blessed. Set your eyes on him and look forward to the future. God bless you. Be sure and tune in tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. Did you know that along with being an excellent Bible teacher, Pastor Wood has authored over a dozen books? We'd like to encourage you to visit PastorWood.org for resources and books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife Susan. You can also listen to or download teachings by Pastor Wood 24-7. Please visit PastorWood.org today. That's PastorWood.org.